We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Ooh, I'm on a phone. What? It's new and exciting. It's crazy. What? <laughs> yeah, see, I still I still don't have any internet here at my new place in Toronto until uh, Wednesday morning, which is the day after this goes up. So yes, we're we're improvising, improvising. That also means we don't have a DVD shelf this week, which we're very 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 sorry about. Yes, this will be our first week not having either like some sort of year in review or preview or DVD shelf or season spotlight. This is the the very first Televerse ever to not have a third segment, and that's because the internet hates but, us. But, you know, 71 straight episodes of having a third segment is pretty pretty solid, I think. <laughs> yes, and, and it's still going to bother me until, you know, it's it's till I find a way to average it out in my head so that to, to catch up. I'm still going to feel like I owe our listeners a third segment. But that's just uh, my own neuroses. Here's how you can think about it. For every 100 episodes, we're allowed one week of not having one. So... As long as we have the next 20, 100, like uh, 127 episodes having a segment, you, you'll be okay. Yeah, so that, then no pressure then. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> we actually considered uh, having a bit of a freeform chat about our, our topic of the, uh, the month or our, our monthly theme over at Sound on Site, which is Westerns. But we determined that we actually don't know enough about TV Westerns to, to be able to do that. We've only seen Deadwood and Firefly, and I've seen a couple other ones, but... Uh, I feel like we should save that for, for the DVD shelves. Now, sir, why don't you like westerns? Why don't you watch more of them? Well, I just—it's just—it's just, a, it's just a, a gap that I have, a knowledge gap, which is why I'm, I'm excited to do more film westerns on Sound on Sight, hopefully a, bit, a little bit later this month. But I did uh, find the time to put up a uh, longish piece about Deadwood and uh, an acting style and theme and autorism. Uh, and that's up on the site now. You can find it if you look. Just do a search for Deadwood on Town site. If it's no longer on the front page, you'll find it. Well, and it's it's pretty great. Uh, I, I'm a fan. Clearly, obviously, here at the Televerse, we enjoy Deadwood, but it's a very well-written well and uh, thoughtful piece about the, the performances and the Western in general and what that means for, um, you know, television performance and all of that it's, it's great so you guys should check it out i will be doing a piece that should go up sometime this week uh if not early next week about scoring in westerns because there's so many wonderful amazing themes uh, in in western film so i will be writing about that and uh based on our conversation earlier i'm thinking i should write up a piece about how firefly is just pretty much a straight up western regardless of the fact that there are spaceships because uh, you were thinking that it was a bit of a stretch for Firefly to be called a Western. I think it's just 100% straight-up Western. So maybe I need to write a piece about it. Clearly, I have an opinion. Yes, I, I well, yes. 
God forbid you have an opinion about a Joss Whedon thing. I would never expect that. Yeah, to. I know. That would never happen normally. So, yeah. Oh, and speaking of Joss Whedon things, you know, I just finished watching Angel. So if anyone wants to come and talk about that, we can do that. We already have a guest lined up for that when we do it. Oh, do we? I, I we forgot. Do. Never mind. Yeah. So that, but see, now I know that's, that's gonna be that's gonna be great. I, I look forward to uh, having an excuse to to dust off my DVDs. That'll be great. But before we move on to our week in TV, we did get some comments and uh, tweets and all that that I wanted to to mention. We haven't had a feedback section for the last few weeks because uh, we've we've been doing our 2012 in review, and so we wanted to focus on that. But I did hear uh, amongst lots of Golden Globes talk because, of course, we had the Golden Globes air this past Sunday. There was also uh, Bob mentioned uh, he really liked this week's episode of Ben and Kate, thought it was one of the best of the series, if not a, a series high. Uh, Dave gave us some props and is saying he needs to he's, he think maybe he's going to check out Archer this year because he keeps hearing such good stuff about it. I know we're clearly we're fans. Um, but yeah, I think Dave, jump in. You, you'll be glad you did. Lots of uh, some some Downton Abbey talk and some other stuff going on uh, on Twitter as well. Of course, you can follow us both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are at Sucker Howl. And you'll probably be on it a bit more once you have internet again. Yes, yes, I will. I've I've been I've been lax in my Twitter duties. It's just not the same twittering from a cafe when I'm not you know three sheets to the wind. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, it was lovely talking with you guys. Of course, we always love getting feedback. You can uh, let us know what you're thinking about the show by, through Twitter. Uh, of course, we would love to get some iTunes ratings or reviews that helps other people find the show. But, uh, we always love to, to hear what you guys are thinking about the show and about the week's TV in general. But speaking of the week's TV in general, let's dive in here with our week in TV. And we're going to start on Tuesday with the Tuesday comedies. Um, we have Ben and Kate, New Girl, The Mindy Project, Happy Endings, and Cougar Town, of which you have seen... One. I watched one of those, which was Ben and Kate. Go me. I, you know, despite the comment made earlier about it being uh, one of the best episodes, I just thought it was kind of an average episode. Um, I did like the BJ uh, segments with her, with her mom and the fake, especially the fake newscasts, the the attempt to you know keep that ruse up. But other than that, yeah, it was a decent episode. But again, it, it relied pretty heavily on my least favorite character trope, which is uh, Ben and his attempts to make money and just everything about the, the pizza idea, the bunk bed pizza having been stolen. You know, you, you felt it coming and they didn't really do anything interesting with it. So, so it, it was, it was fine. It was cute and funny as usual, but nothing spectacular. Oh, I enjoyed having Rickety Cricket come on. Uh, but uh, I would agree. The highlight was definitely the, the, I, those I two. believe, I believe his name is David Hornsby. You want to be technical. Well, if you're going to be all technical about it and the, go with the actor's actual name. But yeah, I would agree that the, the best part, the highlight was definitely those newscasts. I would love to, to see that as like, I don't know, like a web extra or something where they, you know, every, they, they give us you know, like three minutes of that every couple of weeks. That'd be wonderful. I think Jane Seymour was also really good. Of course, Rob Corddry pops back up this week. But uh, I, I kept waiting for them to, there to be a reveal that Maddie had thrown the test so that she could stay in class with her friend. But then we never got that. So I, I was sort of confused about the episode because Maddie is clearly very bright. And by the, you know, what we see in amongst the peers that she's with on the B squad, she should be in the gifted class. But then we didn't get any sort of reason for it. So I was I was confused about that a little bit. Even if it, if, well, if people, Kate... People just flunk tests sometimes. Well, even if Kate didn't find out or, or mention it or even just like, you know... 
I don't know. I just thought it was strange to have this notion that Maddie is not, you know, shouldn't be in the the talented and gifted program or, or whatever it's called. Um, if you're gonna go that, that's 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 fine. I just am confused when she's clearly incredibly bright, or they keep, you know, describing her as such, portraying her as such, and then. You know, then we're supposed to watch Kate dealing with the fact that she, you know, she doesn't get in and that's okay with her. But, you know, I, I don't know. I was confused a little bit by that. But maybe I'm just looking for, for issues at this point. As far as the rest of the Tuesday comedies, uh, New Girl, I'm going to miss Olivia Munn. Got to say, I thought she was a lot of fun on the show. So that, w- that was interesting. Having them swigging absinthe uh, <laughs> was appropriately entertaining. And uh, the rest of the Kevin Shenanigans I thought worked. Watching Schmidt... Uh, just just dive spiral into his white guilt and end up trying to buy crack cocaine. Uh, it was pretty hilarious, and so I think it was another strong, strong new girl episode. As far as Mindy Project having the brother show up, decide he's gonna quit school to to become a, a rapper. That that I thought it was an entertaining episode, but one of the best things about it for me was the fact that he did you know that, that she was right that he shouldn't. You know, this is not the right path for him to take. Because I feel like usually the moral of the story in those kinds of episodes on, on, you know, shows that we see right now is that you should support your family when they're trying to follow their dreams, even if it's just really stupid. And so uh, I like that he came around and, you know, that she was right about that. that I thought that that was uh, w- was fitting with the character. Then we had Happy Endings, Ordinary Extraordinary Love. Uh, and uh, and a pop star that come in. Mostly this episode was all about Penny for me uh, and her various realizations that her work nicknames are perhaps not as kind as she would hope that they were. I, th- I think, uh, you know, it's just another example of when when you have Alex away from Dave, she's far more interesting and pairing her with Penny in this episode is a prime example. Cougar Town, Blue Sunday. I'm glad to have Cougar Town back in my TV viewing. I know you're not a huge fan, but... Uh, this was another fun episode, and I don't know if we'll cover this every week, just because I feel like usually there's not that much to say about Cougar Town. It's either you like hanging out with these characters, or you don't, and I thought that this worked and was good. I, you know, whenever they get just are goofy on this show, that's when it's the most successful, and I think they, you know, when it, the shift to TBS hasn't hasn't changed that, but... Uh, that wraps up our uh, my, I guess, blathering about all the various Tuesday comedies. There's so many good Tuesday comedies right now. Let's move on to uh, something a little different and Parenthood, Small Victories. There was a little bit of comedy in, in Parenthood this week, though it wasn't all tears. It's, it's always nice when we watch Parenthood and we're not falling at least <laughs> once an hour. Um, and this is a, a pretty solid episode. I thought it feels to me like they're going with Max being gay. They didn't actually say it in this episode, but... I found it interesting the way we had Peter Krause giving the talk and so clearly emphasizing girls, 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 which seemed like, I don't know, as a, as a parent in 2012 or 2013 now, sorry, I have the wrong year, uh, it, it seems like maybe you want to throw whatever, you, you may want to disregard gender qualifiers just in case, like, you know, be a, be a modern parent. Yeah, perhaps, but uh, well, I do. I did. That did occur to me when I was watching it that 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 could be where they're going with Max, um, especially given some of his reaction. And I, we don't give Max Burkholder enough credit. He play, that's the actor who plays Max. But once again, he's fantastic, and uh, Parenthood's doing a great job with that character. So, great job, Max. But um, yeah, I, I really think for most of America, you know, whether or not it should be the conversation or not, the puberty talk 
you know, is going to relate. They're going to, the, the, the pronouns are going to be of the opposite gender for most parents right now still. So I thought that it would be actually kind of strange if, if Krause had, uh, cause, cause it didn't really seem like something that they, they've shown particular sensitivity to on the show in the past. Not that they're insensitive, but this, you know, I could see Sarah maybe having the, you know, both, both pronouns in there, but I would, it would have been a little um, surprising to me to, to have Peter Krause's character go, you know, be that sensitive and aware with it. Also probably just because he's already so, you know, <laughs> worked up about, you know, or stressed out about having the talk with Max. Uh, I, it was just refresh. It was a refreshing take on the scene that we've all seen so many times in, in teen or, you know, in family kind of uh, shows and dramas. So, I thought Max's uh, approach was pretty, pretty great, and uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I also loved uh, <laughs> Peter Krause trying to, you know, trying to Adam trying to wiggle out of doing the talk alone. That <laughs> was hilarious. Uh, now, also, uh, I think I, I, I feel we need to underline the fact that American Horror Story chickened out from having an abortion this week, and Parenthood did not. That's true. It did not. Uh, it was a, you know, I, I thought the way that they play that was very fitting and i liked that um oh first of all i wanted to mention jamie kaler popping up i, I love jamie kaler of course I, I was introduced to him on uh, my boys and it was nice to see him pop up here yet again in one of those you know two lines kind of guest parts but hopefully you know we might see him again uh, as, as uh you know the girlfriend's dad but um no i thought i thought it was fitting if it was both the characters i would have been better off just not I don't know why they felt the need to make this a storyline if it's not going to continue past this one episode, but I assume we're going to see more fallout in the next, I think there's only two episodes left. So I don't know. What what did you think about that? It seems kind of strange to me to introduce something for one part of one episode, but not, and not even the main part of the episode. Uh, what I did like about the storyline the most actually was watching through, because I, I feel like his attempts to sort of get her back were kind of skeezy and he knew it. And here you actually see him really, really struggling to find the appropriate response and to be respectful and not impose, not, and not, you know, make his view clear, but not impose his will in any way. Mm-hmm. And you can, and I think um, the actor does a, did a really great job showing us that none of those things were easy to do and really wanting to do the opposite and mm-hmm. not doing it out of respect. I, I thought the way that like there, there were more annoying ways to play and write that, in every respect, and they didn't do any of them. So I was quite happy with that. Well, and you know, even just the fact that we see this mostly from his perspective and point of view, because he's our main character of of that couple. I feel like usually these, you know, teen pregnancy storylines are almost always from the girl's point of view, and so to to have this be so much his perspective. You know, was it was something that was interesting about it. I also liked, of course, that they brought in Amber, you know, Mae Whitman for for this scene because I, yeah, I, yeah. I often forget they're related, that they're brother and sister. But it was nice to see them, you know, actually come together about this. Yeah, and and it, and it made so much sense when when he called her up out of everyone. Like, obviously, he wouldn't want to talk to Jason Ritter, and I don't think he'd want to go straight to Lauren Graham either. So it made it made, that was the thing that made the most sense for him to do in that moment. So it was a it was a clever writing choice. Yeah. 
and perhaps this, the the narrative purpose of it is is to bring Sarah and uh, Jason Ritter, whose character name I can't remember at the moment, back together. It looks like that's what we have in store for us next week. A little bit of love triangle action. Um, and if that's the case, yeah, this is the more st- interesting of those two storylines. But um, we'll see what happens. Uh, moving on. Hold though, on. We hold have... on. Hold on. Before we move on, which what should she do? Well, which would you prefer? Well, if Ray Romano wasn't going to be leaving the show shortly, I would say Ray Romano. But I also, we haven't seen the seasons of building that relationship with Jason Ritter. So right now, I've seen Jason Ritter act like a a child in regards to their relationship and a possessive and jealous one at that. And I've seen Ray Romano mostly be a good guy. So, I mean, it seems pretty clear to me. I also love having Ray Romano on the show. Between the two of them, I think Ray Romano is far more interesting and fits with, uh, has, has better chemistry with Lauren Graham and fits with the show overall much better, especially as he has a kid. So there's that additional parenthood, you know, in there. But I yeah. don't think the character is long for the show. So therefore. Uh, do we do we know for a fact that he's not going to be back next season? No. Okay, just checking. I just, I had the impression he was going to be in like, four or five episodes and I don't know how many he's been in, but it seems like that's about right. So I don't know. We'll see. How about you? What do you think she should do? No, I, I think that's accurate. Not just be, well, I, I'm biased because I'm much more like Ray Romano's character <laughs> than Jason Ritter's character. You know, he, I, I like the fact that Ray Romano's character is so distinct from everyone else in the ensemble that he, you know, that he's been through a failed marriage and he's, He's not, he's somewhat forcibly distanced from his family, and he's his outlook on life is so vastly different from everyone else in the show. So I feel like having him around is way more interesting than having Jason Ritter around, for sure. Well, if only because I want to see the uh, Hank babysitting Max show. You know, I just want to see yeah, those two totally. characters hang out because it's great. The, like the very few moments they get. It seems like a waste to not keep the character around when you've taken the time to form that bond. Yeah, and and to and to do that like work, which made total sense. So yeah, I, I think they should be doing everything in their power to keep them around. So we'll see what happens with that next week. But let's move on now to Wednesday and Top Chef Seattle, which had battle before the war. Now, what did you know? You've seen some other Top Chef here. What did you think of having Restaurant Wars sort of split between two weeks like this? I I don't know if it was a great idea. I, I, in general, I feel like the ten the tendency with these shows is to make it longer and do bigger over time so that they can stretch things out. And I mean, I, it wasn't offensive, and they've done worse things. But I would just as I would have been just as happy with them doing a challenge like this for the quick fire and then doing restaurant wars in the second half of the episode. Uh, okay. With that being said, it, I was actually more upset with them not getting rid of Josie this week because it seems like <laughs> such a foregone conclusion. Yeah, and you know, it's hard to know how much of that is editing. You know, it seems like they've they've decided that she's the villain for this part of the season, and I would be surprised if uh, the only way, way she's not going home next week is if Kristen wins. So if Kristen wins, then she won't. But if Kristen loses, Josie's pretty much going home it seems at least based on what we've seen in the past few episodes and the fact that Kristen is sort of a favorite to win at this point um yeah so so i actually liked that they split it up i liked that the the person who's in charge of you know the the what the restaurant is i like that it's one person's concept instead of a group trying to brainstorm a concept because i i feel like that 
doesn't always work. Usually it doesn't work. And then you have the drama of who's going to take charge instead of there being a reason that someone's in charge. So I, I like that. What I would have done, though, uh, is I, I think having one team have four and one team have three, that doesn't seem like a particularly it, it seems like you're stacking the deck and i'm not a fan of that and so i would have had this be the the episode last week so that you would end up with eight people and then that would determine your restaurant wars you know so then restaurant wars would still be when they were down to eight but it, but it would be even teams as opposed to now it's going to be you know the restaurant wars is going to be when there are seven people and i don't know that it, it seems like the narrative is going to be is it better to have one extra person but that person is josie or to be down a person so I, I right. don't know. We'll see. It, it also, it was also strange to me when they brought back like Carla and, and uh, Kaneko and mm -hmm. et cetera as sous chefs and then did nothing with them. Like they may as well have been random sous chefs from the city. Well, and that's, that's basically what they were supposed to be. They knew that they were going to, the people were going to need help to create, you know, you know, that elaborate of a thing in such a short period of time. So when they need an extra pair of hands, they, like to bring on people that uh, the viewers already know. So, yeah, usually when they bring on sous chefs, it's later in this than the season, and they they serve a pretty similar role. But um, and maybe they were hoping that there would be more drama with with Carla or something, and then it just didn't happen. But uh, no, that didn't bother me. CJ still kicking butt in um, Last Chance Kitchen, as I understand it. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. And let's just be honest: there's no way anyone except Kristen is winning this, right? I mean, in general. Right now, it really looks like it's hers to lose, but we'll see. Because she's just, she's, she's so clearly so much, more, even just this week with her restaurant content, it was so much more clearly laid out than almost anyone else. Mm -hmm. And nobody had any complaints about her food. Versus like uh, Micah, who we lost this week, I'll just serve raw things. Like, really? So <laughs> I was kind of happy that he, I was kind of happy that he went home, but at the same time, I'm like, why is Josie still here? Yeah, I loved that comment from one of the judges of, okay, so we already have something like this, and it's called really damn good sushi. So this has to be better, or at least different and just as good as really good sushi. And yeah. it really didn't look like that. Let's move on, though. Next, uh, take away any thoughts of food directly from my brain. Uh, American Horror Story Asylum and Spilt Milk. Right, and you don't watch. Did you read the synopsis this week? <laughs> yes, I did. I read. I I found out what happened. Um, it looks like you know, we have, things are starting to come together this, again. I think there's only about two episodes left. Yeah, there are two episodes left, and what what I'm confused about is that nearly everything is resolved, and mm -hmm. I don't understand how there's still two episodes left. All of the villains are dead. Well, and, the and I know that being dead, being except for you know. Uh, Dylan McDermott or Dermot Mulroney or whatever his name is. Um, and yeah, I, which is, and that concerns me because the present day stuff is by far the least interesting to me. Uh, and I'm worried that a lot of the last two episodes are going to be taken up with that. That, that would not be good for me, but yes, they, uh, basically all of the villains are dead and obviously being dead isn't really the end on this show, but we haven't, uh, Lily Rabe didn't reappear this, uh, this week, nor did James Cromwell. So, I don't really know if they're going to bring those characters back in any meaningful capacity. The uh, the the capper with Alma returning with the baby, I don't know how I feel about that either, especially since it takes us out of the asylum for more time. So basically, we're, it, it, we're looking at a lot of time in these last episodes not spent in the asylum and not spent in the past, which has me very concerned. 
it seems that at this point, what's left is Jessica Lang, her character being imprisoned somewhere, yeah. and aliens, and then uh, Dylan McDermott as Bloody Face 2.0. Yes, and uh, lots of breastfeeding. Um, yes, that's what we got left, and a lot of that isn't the stuff that interests me, really. So, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about this endgame. And, my God, if they make any... Att- I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they're not... But if they make any attempt to tie this back into season one before this is over, I'm going to be really upset. <laughs> it seems impossible, but I feel like it's the sort of bullshitty thing Ryan Murphy might do. So please don't do that. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, or you can see what happens. I'll read what happens. <laughs> but let's move on yeah, to... Exactly. And yeah, speaking of things that I don't watch, Nashville. Nashville. Be careful of stones that you throw. And I pretty much only watch this because uh, my my dad watches Nashville, and so then I can share that with him. Uh, and uh, this, I was watching it, and pretty much every element of the of this episode is, you know, the stuff that I don't like about it. Characters acting immaturely, and um, I don't know, just not necessarily great music we had more scarlet and uh i can't even remember his name loser avery there we go loser ex-boyfriend avery and Mm -hmm. drama there and um just her that's gone from the character that was one of my favorites in the first few episodes too i really wish i wish scarlet was off the show at this point too that's how you know that's how annoyed i was at her in this episode um we did get though. It was frustrating because I'm watching this kind of like this. My experience with Smash, where, you know, where, where it would be terrible, terrible, terrible. One really good scene, terrible. Uh, there was a moment like that where we had uh, Connie Britton. You know, Reyna had a actual honest, you know, moment with with uh, her husband and her father. There was this confrontation between um, be- between her husband and her dad, where we find out that Teddy has known that. One of his kids isn't his kid this whole time because, of course, he would know that because they're a married couple and, you know, they have a actually relatively responsible and mature relationship. And uh, when the uh, when the father threatens to, to out the parentage, the, the dad smacks him down and says, no, how dare you threaten to damage my relationship with my daughter, even if she's not my daughter in that way. And so I was watching this scene going... This is what the entire show could be. It could all be stuff like this. And it decides that instead, you know, that's not what it's it's going to be. They you know, we're, we're going to have everybody act like immature idiots instead of watching what happens when you put interesting real characters in this kind of a situation, seeing what happens with them. And they have good enough actors on the show to make something so much better than what they're giving them. Um, so I guess I, as this is so often the case with television, it, it comes down to the writing and, oh man, I think I just need to get my dad to stop watching it so that I can stop watching it. <laughs> yeah, Since we have a little bit of extra time to throw our weight around this week, is it a good idea for broadcast networks to try to do serialized weekly musicals? Can they even do it? Um, I think they can. Uh, have they but- ever? There, I actually, funny you should mention, I have an article on Sound on Sight that kind of looks at the history of of uh, musicals on television, going back to, you know, the monkeys and all the way up to, to Smash. I wrote it right before Smash premiered. Uh, so if you're interested oh, in the yes, history of, of TV musicals, that's something you should check out. Um, but I think 
it comes down to, you know, it comes down to a bunch of different things. The troubles with, with Nashville are not the music. The trouble, you know, as much as, you know, it helps when it, there's really great music. But even if, if the music was was completely the same, and I would say the same could be said of Smash towards the end when it got, you know, had it bigger and bigger issues. Even if you had the same mediocre music that they're doing right now, but you had compelling drama, it would be a worthwhile show. And And the compelling drama would make the mediocre music mean a hell of a lot more because usually you know in in both shows the the emotion the songs relate directly to what's happening in these characters lives because that's what they're going for and so i I really think that there there's a good show here you know or that a a serialized musical can be a good show but you got to have the good writing to, to back it up and i would say glee was an example of that for quite a while before just the wheels sort of fell off over there, at least in my opinion. If, if by quite a while you mean a season, maybe a season and a half. I would I would say that in the first three seasons, there's about two seasons of good. So, mm-hmm. well, we, we I guess I guess we'll have to agree to disagree there. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm I'm trying to figure out what's the major distinguishing factor between something like. Smash or Nashville and something like Treme, which is also, you know, basically a musical, mm-hmm. if you think about it. Uh, maybe not structurally in the same way, you know, with people directly commenting on their lives via song, which there's thankfully a lot less of on Treme. But, you know, there's at least as much music on your average episode of Treme as there is in an average episode of Smash. Oh, there's way more. I would say there's way more music on Treme. Um, yeah, I think uh, there's several big differences. One big difference is that you have actual musicians being the musicians uh, for most of the, the, the characters that is on Treme, and you don't have that here. And so when you have, you know, and all your background music, all the background characters in the bands and stuff are real, you know, very talented musicians on Treme, and that's, again, not the case here. And so when you watch them perform, you're watching people do something that they are really, really damn good at. And so that can carry a lot of it and really make those performances sing in a way that they're not going to work if, if, you know, if the performer is not a trained performer in that way, it's not going to translate as well on on, uh, on Smash or on Nashville and then therefore has to rely more on what we've come to, to know about the character and how we've come to care about the character. And when the dialogue and the, the plotting is what it is on Nashville right now, that's, that's really hard, you know, kind of lets it down on both sides. But before I start uh, meandering too far, at least mentally, into Les Mis territory and the discussion of whether you should have real musicians be your performers in musicals, (laughs) let's move on to Thursday and 30 Rock, which was game over. Can we just talk about how great Olivia uh, Octavia Spencer is? Yeah, that was pretty fantastic. And I also was a big fan of Chloe Moretz in this episode. I always loved that character, but I was very glad to have her come back and have Octavia Spencer just be hilarious. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten to see her do comedy before ever, and she was great. It's too bad that the show's ending soon, because I would have liked to have gone for a lot more of that. Uh, other than that, I thought it was a pretty solid episode of Funny Rock. I, I enjoyed it as well. The issue that I had with it was that I I, I was disappointed that they had abandoned this whole, we're going to take NBC storyline that was established so firmly in the first few episodes of the season. It sort of went away for yeah. a while, and then to completely negate it here, it 
I'm confused by that decision and disappointed because I think it's way more interesting and way more entertaining to see that play out than anything we got here. You know, even if they could have had a similar storyline, but in a way where for some reason um, the Chloe Moretz character had decided that she didn't want to run the company. And so they were both trying to play the 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 CEO to try to not become the heir and you could so you could have kept a lot of the same thing going there and and still stay true to the original trying to destroy NBC plotline actually you it could have been more entertaining this notion of failing upwards because I I always enjoy Thirty Rock when they you know when they get more satirical in their approach to NBC I, I'm amazed at how much mileage they're getting out of the Harriet Tubman jokes uh, yeah especially especially. I mean, not, even not, I mean, Octavia Spitzer helped, but even stuff like Tra- Tracy Jordan saying, oh, she's playing the, the main character, Harriet something. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just, that, I mean, this, is, this has been going on for four or five episodes now, and it's still hilarious. So I guess kudos to, to uh, Tracy Morgan and, and the writing staff for that, because it's just been a gold mine, I think. Interesting, because for me, I was disappointed when I saw they were returning to the Harriet Tubman storyline until Octavia Spencer came on. I was expecting them to go the other way, go the major thespian route with her character, and so I was very pleasantly surprised with what they did. Also, i got to say, the tag at the end with her was one of the funniest they've ever done. That was pretty yes, fantastic. the tag was amazing. So, yeah. So, while I'm disappointed, we're not, you know, we, we're just abandoning at least one of our storylines here, uh... It was uh, it was a pretty entertaining episode, and I got I got to give it to him there. Also on Thursday was the pilot of Sixteen Hundred Pen, which aired again, I believe. It's called Putting Out Fires. Um, we talked about that. I talked about that last week in our mid season preview. Um, so I'm gonna just kind of skip over it here. We also had Last Resort and Damn the Torpedoes, which is what again two episodes left. Yeah, pretty. Uh, it's a, a two or three. I forget which, but it's damn near over, which is really too bad because I feel like it's kind of just getting started. I mean, it, it, I mean that's not quite true, but it, I felt like there was this was such a fast-paced episode, and it didn't feel there wasn't like a moment of breathing room, which is actually what the show should be doing pretty much all the time, uh, because that way we don't really have time to focus on some of the weaker aspects, which I would say are the relationship stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which we do mm-hmm. get a little bit of this week, but didn't bother me quite so much. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a, a really a really fun, really uh, densely packed episode. I, my favorite part of the episode, surprisingly enough, was actually the Autumn Reeser and DC storyline. I found I found that the most interesting. I'm glad that they're kicking that up, uh, the you know the, the the speed or the pace of that storyline. I'm sure a lot more than it would have been. I don't think we'd have an out of the blue coup attempt if if they were going to have another season, or even just right, you know yeah. a few more episodes. Uh, but I, I enjoyed that. I am not. Yeah, it this felt very much like the ep- the first episode after they found out that they were getting canceled, because all of a sudden you have the cob sitting in on a mutiny. You have you know there's a lot of you know jumps I would say from what feel like where the show was at, and the my issues on the island have to do more with that than anything else. I was very yeah. surprised we didn't cut to. Jesse Tram in uh, captivity at all. So now I'm kind of wondering if we're going to see her again before the end of the show. I think we're going to have to. I mean, even if the show is ending soon, they're going to have to at least make, I think he's going to have to find out before it's over that she's not dead, how they're going to do that and not have the flow horribly disrupted. I have no idea. 
Well, just because the way they seem to dive in with the the relationship with uh, the French dive. woman. Oh yeah. Love humor. <laughs> um, that you know, I wasn't expecting that. If if they or that that seems like an interesting choice. If they are going to can return to the same relationship with the wife in the next two or three episodes, but um, we'll see what happens with it. I guess the yeah. the Chinese and the I, I very much enjoyed the captain and the, and the uh, on the was it a destroyer, the American captain and his conversations with Chaplin were good. I'm glad that the CIA mole is outed. Um, was it just me or are they trying to build some sort of a romantic relationship between those two? You know, that's interesting because I've been thinking about that for the last four episodes or something, and they've never they, – they've been toying with it in a, in a kind of interesting way. It's, it's highly unclear whether or not their, their bond is paternal or romantic. Yeah. And they're, it's kind of awkwardly – It's a little squeaky. It, it, it's interesting. It, it's very ambiguous, and they've been very deliberate about that. And I'm, mm-hmm. and the fact that they've been so deliberate about that makes me think that it's more paternal than romantic. But maybe it's both, which would be really creepy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, major Star Trek vibes in those captain discussion scenes, <laughs> wouldn't you say? I hadn't thought of that, but that's great. Yeah, I mean, Star Trek is essentially a sub show, so makes yeah. sense. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited to see how nuts these last few episodes can get because. As as much as people talk about Homeland and how and how great the pacing is, et cetera, et cetera, and how you know, you know, politically interesting it is, they've never done anything as wild as a presidential coup. So mm-hmm. I, I'm very, I'm very. You're right about that plot line. It is interesting and it's great to see it ramping up. And I'm, I'll be very curious to see because they're basically they're basically talking about like an invasion of DC, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, that's that's kicking it up to eleven, definitely. Uh, so yes, I'm I'm very very intrigued to see how nuts what I'm 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 curious to see what Sean Ryan on full blast in this storyline looks like. Yeah, well we'll uh, see what happens in the next two weeks. I feel like uh, half of our shows are ending in the next two weeks, um, having a bit of a yeah. changeover. But speaking uh, of which, speaking of which, Fringe, The Boy Must Live, and of course next week we have our two part finale. So this is our third to last episode, second to last week. Uh, what did you think? Is it, is it unfair that I'm now a lot less excited for the, the for the finale after this episode? Because, man, the whole thing with this kid and September slash Donald, it just it's just so it, I, I don't know. It's it, it feels so overly sentimentalized to me, and definitely like and Fringe definitely has that streak to it, especially. Uh, over the last couple seasons, but I was hoping that it wouldn't be so prominent so close to the end. But it seems like that's where they're going with this. Well, of course he's September's kid. I mean, this is Fringe. It's all fathers and sons and mothers and, uh, you know, and and daughters. And this is a show that's always been, Uh, you know. I blame Spielberg. (laughs) Now, there are a couple things that I, I was, I gotta say, I was more excited for the finale by the trailer. And the appearance, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know something about the trailer for, you know, skip 10 seconds ahead. I was very excited to see the return of Lincoln and the other Olivia in the trailer for next week. That has me more excited about the finale than anything we got this week. Okay, but fair enough. There are a couple things in this episode that I thought were very interesting, and and they didn't seem to address it. One was, uh, 
one was interesting, but I wasn't particularly pleased about this. I don't understand why they seem to have magically fixed Walter and his struggle with the other Walter two episodes after it seemed like the other old Walter won. And that was in, you know, the uh, the Black Bladder episode. The episode ends with evil Walter grinning maniacally as if he's had some sort of a victory. And then regular Walter wakes up. And then the, the episode after seemed like there was much more of regular Walter than our Walter. And you can always tell which Walter it is because if he says Astrid, it's, you know, bad Walter. And if he says anything else, it's our Walter. Um, at least that's what I'm assuming that's what I'm picking up on in that performance. So I don't understand why they did that two episodes ago. And then this episode, he's just magically healed our Walter. His mind is blown. Well, no, because he's fixed because he touched the miracle. Ch- oh God damn it. Really? Yeah. Is that yeah, what exactly. we're going with? Well, there's a lot this season that feels uneven or that not even quality wise. Cause of course I, I, I'm constantly impressed and in you know, with and enjoying these episodes and particularly the performances and the focus on theme and character over plot. I will always be more interested in theme and character over plot because that's just the kind of sci-fi fan I am. But, um, but there are just, you know, elements about this season that seem poorly planned out, poorly plotted out. There's no way they didn't know this was the last season. And so it just feels a little incohesive given that they knew that going in. Honestly, it feels to me like they wrote so, I mean, the plotting of the show is so complex and so overlapping and and, and often self-negating that I, I feel like when they realized this was going to be the last season, they decided to take a course and, and that's just what they're going with. Damn any inconsistency damn whatever is being ignored, damn whatever doesn't, whatever seems too convenient, they're committed to this. And I respect that in a way, uh, but I do wish, I mean, it, it, it just kind of feels like for a long time they were writing as though they were going to have 10 seasons and suddenly they had to write as though they had one and this is the course they decided to take. And, and, and like I said, I, I respect that, but I do worry that these last episodes are going to, uh, I mean, the stuff like with, with with Walter this week where he was talking, oh, I don't know how I remember that. I just remember that. I feel like we're going to get a lot of that this week. <laughs> of just stuff just happening. It it To me, it feels inconsistent, but it feels inconsistent within this final season. Not even right. the fifth season versus the rest of the show. This season, it seems like episode, you know, I don't remember specifics off the top of my head, but things that were established early in season five or, you know, even partway through season five now seem negated. And it, it, it doesn't feel like developments have happened. It seems like a, you know, a lack of communication in the writer's room. So, so we'll see what happens with the finale. The the last thing I wanted, the second thing that I thought was interesting that I wanted to mention was, and the show didn't seem to really get into this and I would have expected more. I loved that. Again, their plan, and this is, of course, this comes from the original Walter. I was expecting more of a contrast between, you know, the original Walter's take on this idea and our Walter's take on this idea. But again, the plan is to use a child to save the world and to just, they're going to send him to a particular point in time. It's assumed by himself, where who knows, he's probably going to get stuck into a, 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 a cell somewhere and maybe chopped up so they can invest, figure out, you know what he is 
and everything. So once again, they're sacrificing a child in the same way that they were sacrificing Olivia and all of the Cortexafan kids. And the fact that Olivia goes along with that, the fact that that Peter goes along with that. Now, if you want to contrast, do we become, do, does Olivia decide that she is going to go along with essentially a similar thing to the kind of thing that she experiences as a child because it'll get her Edda back? That's really interesting, but they don't, they don't go there with it. They don't. And also we, we get, once again, uh, the prospect of Walter losing Peter because apparently that's some integral part of this plan, mm-hmm. which I, I, can't, I can't really picture how that's possible, but I'm sure we'll get that very early on into next week's episodes. Um, yeah, yeah I, I agree that there's well, a lot of... Well, if the observers ever come, then he won't die because it's like a paradox. Right. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I see how that works, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like the show's efforts to call back to earlier episodes have been really inconsistent. Like you, you're right. They don't point that out or, or nobody makes that connection, but they do find the time to have a white tulip reference mm-hmm. and, um, and also to, to call back to other early season stuff. So yeah, it, it doesn't feel like they've done all the light work possible. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that I really enjoyed that they have spent all season on this plan and they have this plan and nobody bothers to ask the kid if he has a plan. <laughs> and so he's like, screw you guys, I'm going to do this. <laughs> At least it seems to me. I don't think it didn't seem like he was sacrificing himself to the observer so the rest could get away. It seemed like, OK, yeah, you guys have been talking a lot. Uh, I'm going to do this instead because I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suspect it was supposed to be the former, but it did kind of come across like the latter. Uh, the last thing I want to say, since I'm not going to feel like saying this again next week, and I apologize if I yell, why do observers teleport places and then start walking? Why don't they just teleport <laughs> to the place they're going to walk to? Ah, yeah. ah. I, I love that Sorry, you got so impassioned that we heard you, that you bumped your phone and we heard it beep. That was hilarious. Yeah, I, I've seen other people complain about that, and I'm willing to give it timey-wimey, basically, for lack of a better term. Um, I'm willing to go with, there's a reason, but we don't know what it is. Don't throw your Doctor Who talk at me. (laughs) But yeah, I I see what you're saying. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me, um, because I assume there's a reason that we don't know. That's probably giving them too much credit, but that's where I'm at with it. Yes, okay, fair enough. (laughs) So next week, we'll, of course, be back with talk about the Fringe finale, and we're also going to have a season, or actually a series spotlight or DVD shelf that is on Fringe. And so I, I'm looking forward to to kind of really digging into all this uh, this Fringe talk next week and seeing exactly what we're going to have happen in this, this finale. So um, despite my qualms with this episode, I still think they're doing a lot of interesting work, and I'm going to miss Fringe when it's gone. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Let's move on, though, to Sunday and the Golden Globes. Now, uh, when we were, we were talking the other day, I was confused as to, because I thought maybe you had internet back because you were talking about the Golden Globes while you were online. I was like, how could these two things be happening if he doesn't have internet at home? Now, were you able to catch some of this at the cafe? Were they showing it? Or was this no, no, no. just Twitter? No one in a public place is ever going to put the Golden Globes on a television when they could be playing anything else. Uh, no, I was. I happened to this. I happened to be at um, my uh, my esteemed co-host Julian Carrington's house uh, because I just recorded an episode of Sound on Sight there, and that was when the Golden Globes were on site. So I was mixing 
uh, sat on site and watching Golden Globes at the same time. So I, admittedly, I was three quarters watching it because I had uh, I was mixing in one earbud, which is just as well because a lot of the show was deadly boring. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and, and I did miss the first 15 minutes, which is too bad because I'm assuming that's where most of the Amy Poehler Tina Fey content was. Um, yes. But I did enjoy uh, a few things. I enjoyed any time that Faye and or Polar were playing uh, fake nominees. Mm. That was an unexpected pleasure. And uh, obviously the Jodie Foster speech was fantastic. And uh, also, I have to say, I could not stop cracking up at Will Ferrell and, uh, <laughs> and Kristen Wiig. Holy crap, that was funny. That was great. It, at first, it seemed a little odd and meandery, but then as soon as it like kicked in and you realized what was going to happen, it was pretty amazing. When they're talking, when they're describing the salmon and Judy Dench, where did she come from? That was that was pretty yeah. Fantastic. And the fact that it, and the fact that it seemed roughly fifteen minutes long made it mm-hmm. so much better. Yeah, no, it was good. And, and when you contrast that to, for example, the the quasi improv stand up that Sasha Baron Cohen seemed like he was doing when he came up later, it was like no, no, no. No, 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 no. Get the SNL people back up here. Get get, yeah. get our best of SNL ever people back up here. Yeah. Frankly, um, the efforts after Wig and Farrell, almost every other effort to be funny was horrible. Like like Fallon and Leto and et cetera, et cetera, was just so flat and scripted and horrible, whereas they were just naturally hilarious. Yes, they they were they were pretty great. And it's really it's too bad that you missed the uh opening monologue because Polar and Faye killed it. They were fantastic and uh yeah, <laughs> Seth MacFarlane's got his work cut out for him because uh, I imagine he's going to do some sort of a song or something. But uh, when you have shout outs to uh, Mandy Patinkin and singing and you have and uh Marilyn Streep having the flu, but I hear she's great in it and all sorts of different, uh, you know, it, it, the, I'm sure you heard the line about uh, James Cameron Ooh, uh, and uh, that kind of set the tone for, for, you know, their, their things. The the other time I laughed the hardest was uh, when I, I forget who Paul Rudd was on stage with, but when they were having technical difficulties and mm-hmm. they just kept trying to awkwardly cut in, that was really, really funny to me. Oh, Salma Hayek and uh, uh, Paul Rudd. Yeah, and just it, it, especially there was a whole half hour where nothing seemed to be working. Is, well, like, really, is it that hard to coordinate this? Well, there also were there were a couple different places where the sound cut out, and some people were attributing that to uh, to technical difficulties. I'm pretty sure that was the sensors avoiding anything potentially scandalous. Because if you notice, they cut out right when it seemed like Jodie Foster was gonna do like some big coming out speech they cut out for several seconds and then they cut back in when you when as soon as they realized that she wasn't going to talk about the fact that she's gay at least in a particularly straightforward manner um and there was another place where hold on though would that really have been censorable material really no no but that doesn't stop somebody from deciding that they don't want to I, I basically I wasn't I, it, it's stupid to to think you need to censor something like that, but I was not surprised that it it seemed like that was what was happening, and a similar because the other time the sound sound cut out at least that I caught was when it seemed like someone was about to swear, and then the sound cut right out and then came came back like five seconds later. I I also enjoyed uh, Ben Affleck's identical twin Tony Mendez and his and his apparent not understanding how microphones work, which I find strange considering yeah, the I was, intelligence community. I was surprised that John Goodman didn't like, you know, usher Imagine him a little maybe. closer. You can only get away with that if you're if you've got a voice like John Goodman. 
<laughs> but um, no, I mean, all in all, I think uh, I, I also love the Jodie Foster speech. Um, Adele was fantastic. I was so glad that she won. And then her, her speech. Oh, was come adorable. on. Who else would possibly win that? Hey, that's the only one hey, of those songs you can actually hear on the radio. I don't care. I was very uh, about to be very annoyed at a lame is win there. Because, I mean, yes, let's cut out some of our best songs from Lame Is so that we can write a new one and it can make a bunch of money and win an Oscar. So, yeah, I was very glad when Adele won, <laughs> deservedly. Fair enough. Although, I, I, it was a good speech, although it was one of those, oh, I can't believe I'm up here. Really? Really? You can't believe you're up there? You've won every award known to man and you can't believe you're up there at the award show or you're nominated for something? Really? But other, I believed her. Fair enough. <laughs> Also, I very much enjoyed uh, uh, Jennifer Lawrence's speech. She's like, I beat Meryl. And the room just is dead. So I was like, I'm, I'm kidding. I don't think I'm better than Meryl Streep. Come on, guys. Yeah. Oh, I, I really do like Jennifer Lawrence, even if I try to ignore things that she says in interviews but, mm -hmm. and just say, oh, she's a kid. Uh, but yes, I do like her. It was a good speech. Yes. Now, and also, uh, I hated that movie, but, you know, not her fault. Yeah, yeah. There was uh, there were several uh, wins that for me were a, huh, okay, well, I guess Don Cheadle's not the reason House of Cards is a mess, so I guess we're going to give him yeah, if, uh, an award. If, you know, it, considering there was an upset in that category, not the upset I was hoping for. Yeah, there were there was a, <laughs> a couple categories I was like, come on, anybody but fill in the blank, and... Uh, most of the time, fill in the blank didn't win, so that was that was good. But uh, yeah. any any final thoughts? Are, are you any final thoughts? Are you know? Are do you usually watch the Golden Globes? How does this compare to previous years? Are you going to watch the Oscars? I used to watch award shows all the time when I was a kid because I would have nothing but time, and now I almost never do because they're so long, and I'm not often in front of my television for those sorts of purposes. So I don't, I don't really have anything to compare it to. I thought it was passably entertaining for something to watch while I was mixing a podcast. Mm. Um, and it, when it wasn't insufferably boring. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move on to the rest of Sunday, though. We had Bob's Burgers and Nude Beach. Now, normally uh, we are very effusive in our praise of Bob's Burgers, and I would say that'll probably continue here this week. But I thought this was actually a bit of an off week for them. While I very much enjoyed the the climax of the episode, the nude athlon, uh, I thought that was that was great. Most of this episode was really a miss for me, and if only because I didn't think the the Tommy stuff worked. I didn't think the early nude beach stuff particularly worked. Um, it was great to see Daryl back as he's Ansari, of course, as the voice for him for that character. But uh, really, this felt like a miss for me in the most part, at least on Bob Berger's standards. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It wasn't a uh, it wasn't a landmark episode of Bob's, uh, and the the fact that there was a nude beach involved and no and and no Tina dream, dream sequences seems like seems like a missed opportunity. But I, I mean, I, there there were there were some 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 lulls to be had. Uh, especially, I, I liked their efforts to monetize the new beach and then their Louise's uh, spin on uh, on the situation to get the kids back involved. I thought was good. Uh, yeah, actually, what I was really disappointed by when, when we found out there were going to be teenagers involved was that I would have loved to have had a reappearance from the teenage boys from the Halloween episode. Mm -hmm. And to get them in on the action, because I, I felt like their commentary would have been much appreciated. Unfortunately, they were not present, which was, which seemed like a waste. But yeah. Uh, and yeah, the 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 general progression of the nude Athlon and health inspector plotline was unusually predictable, which was too bad. But yeah, still, I mean, a, a, an off boss is still better than most other things. 
continuing on Sunday comedies, I guess, uh, we have Girls, the season two premiere, which was It's About Time. And it's been interesting. I, I've, I normally don't read or listen to any reviews of, of shows that we're going to cover before I've seen the show. And uh, I, I did hear a little bit about this one before watching it, and it was a, a comparatively negative review. And so... I'm curious what you if you know that's the the critics seem to think it was a back a bit of a backpedal from where how far the characters had progressed last season. I'm curious what you think about that because um, for me some of them seemed yes to have regressed, but others seemed appropriate like they they were in the right the right place. So I'm curious what you thought about that and um, the premiere in general. Uh, I thought it was a, a a very solid episode of Girls, and I I don't think the characters acted any. They 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 acted totally in step with how they were written last season. I feel like maybe in in the off season people thought people you know who think who feel warmly towards the show maybe idealize these characters, but let's not forget who they are. And um, I feel like nearly every decision made by these characters felt appropriate for characters who generally behave rashly and aren't necessarily always the the oldest souls around. Uh, in in general, I thought it was uh, uh, a, in totally true to the character. Although I do continue to feel slightly guilty for the fact that, for a sh- in a show called Girls, still the most compelling figure to me a lot of the time is Adam Driver's character, who I relate to in many ways. Sadly, um, although I don't have a broken leg, which I guess is a plus. Yay! Uh, but in 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 general, um, I'm I'm interested to see. You. I, mean, I I know a little bit about where the stuff with Donald Glover is going. In general, I didn't find those scenes all that interesting just yet. But he was barely on screen, so I guess we'll wait and see. But uh, I would have liked a little bit more time with uh, Jessa as well, figuring out where that's going. Besides uh, what we what we did get. Uh, but I, as much as I do continue to find Shoshana a little bit cartoonish, I did find her scenes with her scene with Ray pretty hilarious. Yeah, I, I enjoy Shoshana. I think she's, um, I think she's sort of charming, and uh, I think the show needs a bit of that. So she's it, it, apparently we're going to get more of her this season. It's going to be more of a balanced role with the other three main girls, and so that uh, has me excited for what's to come. I think, I think uh, this notion of the characters having regressed. I do think it's the, what what we see from them fits with their characters and is interesting and it feels truthful. I think maybe the, what people are perhaps not happy about is that I don't want to see it. I don't care about seeing another, you know, go around with Marnie and her ex. Like I I was tired of that storyline last season. I don't want to see it again. And I can see where people are frustrated, you know, especially with the Adam storyline, that relationship, um, and not you finally having gotten at the end of the season, we've gotten to somewhat of a place of stability and happiness, and that is gone here, and not wanting to have to, you know, struggle through all that again. But that does seem accurate, you know, to our characters. So so while I absolutely agree that I I am annoyed by, you know, some of the decisions with the relationships and where we find ourselves at the beginning of the season, I, I'm annoyed with the characters, not with the show. Maybe yeah. is the best way to put it? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Although, frankly, I could do without the character of Marnie's ex in general. Uh, the scenes with him and his bitchy girlfriend were were pretty broad even for the show. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I generally, I'm not like overly fond of that character or that actor, frankly. 
So I'm, I noticed uh, Yorma Taccone in the season preview, and I'm quite I'm quite interested to have him around again. I think he's a, an interestingly destabilizing presence. Um, mm-hmm. And I also really liked the the scene of um, of Marty attempting to get it on with. Uh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name, but the Elijah. Italy, uh, with yeah, yes, thank you. Trying to get it on with Elijah, and that just not happening, and 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 him finding a lame excuse of of, of saying that she rolled her eyes. Uh, that that was a, a nice bit of writing. Uh, so yeah, in general, I thought it was a, 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 about on par with the more solid episodes from last season. And I'm, I'm hoping that uh, that things pan out in ways that are interesting, but not too. I, I'm a little bit worried about, like I said, the self-referentiality of having uh, Donald Glover on there and, you know, tackling the, the race issue. Although I, I did, it, it did make for a weird bit of synchronicity with The Good Wife this week. <laughs> which, which we'll we, get to. Yeah, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, yeah, I guess for me, I just, it can get very tiresome to watch characters, especially characters that you've grown to have an appreciation for, to care about in some extent, make stupid, destructive decisions over and over again. Um, and so yeah. that's, I think, where... Perhaps I could see myself developing an issue with girls this season if we get a yeah. lot of repetition. Well, well, and I think that's why I gravitate towards Adam Driver's character because he's the only character this season, so far at least, who his position is quite clear. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, I'm in love with you, and that's not going to change. And yeah, maybe I'm a bit of a dick, but you know, you know what you you know what you're getting with me, and uh, and you know what I want, and that's very clear. Yeah. So we'll see what uh, happens over the next few weeks, but it should definitely be interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to more Donald Glover because I always enjoy him. So hopefully yep. he'll get a little more to do in the next few weeks. You also watched the uh, premiere of Enlightened called The Key. What did you think? I did. Uh, it, it was very much in line with what I saw of last. I, I saw about the first four episodes of season one. And Enlightened is really a show that I want to love and I never quite do. But I do find it interesting and... Um, in particular, I mean, this week we have her really trying to uh, take down Abaddon, and uh, we we see her teaming up with a journalist for that, and also uh, continuing to team up with Mike White. And the thing that I do find interesting is that it's never quite clear. There's this weird tension in the show of uh, how much are we supposed to feel like um, – how much are we supposed to feel like Laura Dern's character is in the right, that she's doing this for the right reasons that, um, that she's not totally deluded because the form of the show, it, it, it feels like we're supposed to be hundred percent behind her, but I feel like there's this uh, sort of queasy layer of doubt sort of hanging over it. And that's the most interesting aspect of the show to me. I don't think it's really a comedy at all at this point. There were, there were no laughs to be had in this episode period. Uh, and the the narration and and filming style was all very sober, so uh, I, I do feel like it has evolved somewhat in that sense. I, I wish I liked the show more. I wish I found it more engaging more of the time, but I do find the um, the, the way it seems to question itself and and our and our lead character and encourage us to question it. That's what I find interesting. And I I, I may if I have more to say, I'll I'll let you know. Um, and I, I, I may tune into future episodes, but I, I do find it to be a kind of a kind of an interesting beast. Well, and definitely, uh, well, I shouldn't say definitely because there are so many shows out there that even we had a, haven't had a chance to catch up with. But it seems like it's doing something different than you know the other shows that are going on right now. Definitely, yeah, that's always interesting. Next, we have the the Good Wife and Je ne sais what, 
which was one of the episodes I most enjoyed this week. I had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, I always, you know, I, as someone who did French through school, it was fun to actually get to use some of that a little bit uh, in, in, in this episode and to, to see some of the developments with that panel. I thought that that worked and was interesting. Um, what did you think of this episode? I'd be curious to know how much before, um, before Diane came in and started translating, how much of that were you getting? Um, I got pretty much most of it that uh, okay, I was able to to hear. Yeah, if I could, if if they when they, sometimes when the they were away from their mics and talking quietly with each other, I wasn't hearing everything they were saying, but I was able to actually understand. I thought they, you know, I don't know if that was intentional, but the, they could have been speaking a lot more mumbly and harder to understand if they had wanted to. So right. I think that was actually kind of an interesting choice to make it understandable French, just not to people who don't speak French. Yeah, and not subtitling it was was nice. Um, yeah, this was a really fun episode. Remember when uh, Elizabeth Tassioni was around quite a few episodes ago, and we started talking about how she should totally get her own spinoff. Mm-hmm. This was basically an episode of that spinoff. She was she was in a sense the central character of this episode, and it seems like based on what we get this week that she's going to be around again for a while, which I'm very very excited about. Absolutely. Uh, I also I also feel a bit bad that Kalinda got almost nothing to do with this episode, and I didn't really care as great a character that as she is, I'm kind of okay with her sort of back at her back doing her old job and getting even less screen time doing it. That that makes me feel like a dick, but it's true. Um, And I I really liked basically every aspect of this episode. I I liked the stuff with with Chris notes and sort of tackling, attempting awkwardly to tackle the race issue in ways that didn't, I mean, his, his attempts to, uh, sort of to learn from past mistakes and that not going entirely smoothly right away, I thought was was great and uh, really nicely written and performed. And I liked uh, the, the little the little quickie they got to have with with Alan coming outside and then that very funny moment when she emerged from the trailer. <laughs> oh, it's just me. Nothing to worry about. I thought that was great. Um, and I, I, I continue to enjoy Zach being useful but not taking up an entire episode. That was a nice touch. And, uh, and yes, having the, the, the European panel was, uh, was a goldmine of polarity, especially the, the, the resolution in which, in which we sort of see the, uh, the, the fissures in the panel and their, uh, their sort of inter, inter-country issues. Yeah. Well, just uh, how quickly it clearly breaks down. It's like, oh, yeah. you're the guy? You, you robbed us. You know, that was, that was a great way to solve it. And I was very, very happy when the episode didn't end up being about doping at all, really. Because mm-hmm. I was I was really concerned that it was going to be another did she, didn't she sort of plot line that we've gotten with, you know, basically every procedural ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it, it, it's a sort of twist that you hope the good wife will do every week. And they did. So yeah. that made me very happy. And yeah. also, obviously, uh, Carrie Preston and the psych exam was hilarious. Yeah, that's what I was going to lead off with is uh, <laughs> as soon as they say that Elspeth is going to have to take a psych eval, I loved, it was hilarious, the notion of it, and then just the immediate crestfallen look on all of the, everybody's faces, except like, for oh. Elspeth. <laughs> oh, we're screwed. Ah, yeah, yeah, that was pretty great. I enjoyed the, how, how really, how tired of all of this that judge was who was presiding over whether they had jurisdiction on the uh, first and yeah 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 absolutely just just the, the just observing how far down the rabbit hole they'd gone 
mm-hmm. they were having special sessions over this absurd minutia and just and just giving up by the end was felt was great. And yeah, and I also loved the, the the speed with which everyone jumped in to help as soon as they realized uh, that Elizabeth Tessioni was involved. Because, and, and then also their exasperation, like they everyone immediately realizes, holy crap, this woman is brilliant. We, we need to help because we want her around. Mm-hmm. But also, man, her in a psych exam is not a good man. <laughs> well, like, I, she I, must be handled with care. I kept waiting for them to try to poach her, and. Uh... Something, I mean, I was a little, I, I did like that they immediately jumped in to help when they realized who it was. There was a little bit of a sense of, it's Elspeth. We got, you know, like, dum-dum, you know, like, she's our best friend, you know, that kind of, there's a little too much um, import to the the way that first Alicia and then Will said, you know, to, told the next person up the chain that they were trying to get to help who it was. It seemed, and maybe that's even just something as simple as the, the particular note of underscoring in that moment, you know, might have, right. it, it felt a little too, um, it's like, it's my daughter. That's the one who needs to get. Right. Yeah. You but know. that almost felt more like, I mean, it made sense more or less from a plot perspective, although I can see what you mean about them goosing it a bit too much. It, it almost felt more like a nod to the audience of like, we're bringing in Rambo, guys. <laughs> we we, we got to do this now. Yeah. Like, it, like they, they know, they must know how much people love that character. Well, I mean, everybody's got to love that character. Even I imagine, you know, it's so much fun for Carrie Preston to play that character and uh, then for them to be able to be around it. Just the dialogue that you get when you're in a scene with that character is, you know, it's always pretty fantastic. So, you know, it was nice to see her back. And especially after, you know, last week when they brought back Wendy Scott Carr. And apparently now we know why they brought Wendy Scott Carr back. And we were just sort of confused as to why, of all of the guest characters you could bring in, why would you pick that one? You know, this is a prime example. Of all your guest characters, bring back Elspeth Tessioni, because that's a far more entertaining and interesting character. I will say that I also thought they handled the uh, that, that scene with Peter and his uh, underling, whose character name I don't quite remember right now, talking about the race relations and the racial bias. And I liked that they... Because before that has been brought up, but it's been pretty quickly dismissed. And I love the way that they described it as it's not about being racist, it's about who you listen to it's about whose excuses you listen to and whose you don't um, right and that was such a straightforward and simple way to describe you know racial bias and what they were you know what the issue was and how the people in the that company felt yeah, yeah. And, I, and i think they did a great job balancing you know um chris notes being a fundamentally yeah peter being a fundamentally decent or trying to be decent person but still making very clear how he'd messed up and how, and how uh, sort of, and how oblivious he was to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think making clear that it's a mistake that you can make without meaning to, and that and that doesn't excuse it either. Yeah, exactly. You know, I always enjoy when they manage to to shade in their characters, and that's something they do very well here. I did enjoy T.R. Knight in this episode. I, I think they could there could be interesting stuff that. They have going for them. I wish the character wasn't uh, was a little less of a dick to to Eli. I wish, or at least I wish the character felt a little more balanced. I wish he was more competent. Like not knowing Peter's son's name was a bit much. Yeah, I understand what they're trying to get at. Like they, you know, they're showing us Eli's perspective on it, but it, he needs to get a win every now and again for us to understand why he's there. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, and uh, finally, the last thing I'll mention is I loved the opening sequence with breakfast. And uh, just the daughters left there sitting alone. Hey, guys, I'm still on the show. Yeah. <laughs> another good another good episode of The Good Wife. One of my favorites, actually, in quite a while. I look forward to Alan Cumming being teamed up with Carrie Preston. That should give us a lot of fun. But, um, yeah, Good Wife continues to... Yeah. to as long as, for the love of God, don't have any romantic thing between them. Oh. That would just be the worst oh. thing ever. No, that's not going to happen. I really don't think that's going to happen. I can't imagine them putting Elspeth Tessioni in any sort of a romantic relationship. She's just... Because then you'd have to figure out who makes sense for her to be with. And, uh, yeah. Anyways, as much as I would enjoy her spinoff show, we both would enjoy her spinoff show. That is yet to come on on The Good Wife. Um, But next up we have Bunheads, and Channing Tatum is a fine actor. (laughs) This episode starts yet again with a group dance number, and I think that shows that they're playing to their strengths, which is good. That means they know their strengths and are playing to them more accurately. There's a lot of the bunheads this week, and I think they're doing a good job of balancing them. I'm not very interested in new girl and new guy. The introduction of these characters feels a little contrived, but uh, particularly random hunky guy who's there to be uh, blonde bunhead, Ginny, I think it is, uh, to be to be her new boyfriend. Maybe if they started giving, you know, the characters any sort of defining characteristics, personality-wise, that, that is, as opposed to just, you know, the the, the approach that they take this episode, which is to show them just from the, our main characters' perspectives. But, um, yeah, hopefully the this will not take time away from our main characters. There's already so many main characters that I'm interested in that I'm not that thrilled about the notion of bringing more new people in, but... We'll see how they handle it. Um, all in all, I enjoyed this episode, and uh, whenever we get, you know, the stuff with Carl and and uh, Boo, that's always pretty adorable. So I think, you know, it's another strong episode, and I look forward to more the rest of the season. However many, you know, I'm, it still looks like Bunheads will probably not get renewed at least right now. So I'm just enjoying every week that we have. And then the final show is the pilot of the Carrie Diaries on the CW. Of course, this is also on Monday nights. This is, of course, a prequel to Sex and the City, and um, as far as CW Fair goes, it's pretty mediocre. It's not, it's not anywhere near the uh, the the lesser of their pilots from this year. As far you know, so that'd be like your Emily Owens MD and your Beauty and the Beast. It's much better than those, but I still don't particularly care about these characters. I I, I was a fan. I enjoyed Sex and the City uh, while it was on, but. Um, this character doesn't feel particularly tied to the Carrie from Sex and the City outside of more superficial elements. So uh, she likes fashion. She has the big hair. She dreams of moving to Manhattan, and uh, that's all. That all ties in. She has a specific fashion sense. But we spend you know several scenes with her in a swimming pool, and the Carrie from the, from Sex and the City. I can't imagine her ever getting a toe wet, let alone going for a swim. So in in certain ways, it didn't feel very consistent. Um, but aside from that, if you just take it on you know face value as high school teen drama set in, in uh, the 80s, I think it's likable enough. The lead is likable enough. I just it doesn't have anything that's going to interest me to check it out again. So I, it could have been better. definitely could have been worse, though. And... Um, I guess when you're comparing it to some of the other pilots, like I said, that we got this year from the CW, I'll I'll take that 
over another Emily Owens. So we'll see what happens. We'll see if it catches on with the young audiences or uh, or not. But that should be interesting to watch. Now we're going to take a quick break, listen to some music, and come back with our spotlight on the season premiere of Justified. was Badlands by ACDC, which was used memorably in the beginning of this ep- this week's episode of Justified, the season premiere, season four premiere, that is, Hole in the Wall. So we uh, have been waiting for Justified to come back for quite a long time. Clearly it's in our spotlight. We like this episode. Um, but what did you think of both this episode as itself, as a you know new beginning, how it relates perhaps to the way we left things off in our season three finale? And are you excited for what appears to be headed our way this year? I'm definitely excited. You know, I was listening to Firewall and Iceberg, and um, there was some concern over whether or not this mystery was going to be uh, attention-grabbing enough. And for me, it was. I'm definitely interested to see them once again taking a a fairly different tack this season. And I think what's most encouraging about this episode is that it introduces this this entirely new, uh, or at least least 75% new uh, way of doing things and a whole bunch of new characters, and none of the characters were turnoffs for me. Uh, like, I, I wouldn't say that I'm totally besotted with any of them yet, but we've also just met them, and I think for, in terms of introductions, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Ron Eldar's character, Joe Mazzello's character, uh, and, and also the bounty hunter we, we spend a little bit of time with. I don't know if she's going to be back or not. She's not. There's no real indication that she'll recur. Uh, but also Pat Oswalt's character, Constable Bob. Like I enjoyed the scenes we had with all these characters. So, and considering we didn't spend that much time with most of them, I think that's a really good sign. So, uh, I, and, and I also haven't really, I don't really have much experience with it with any of these actors. So that's, I'll, I'll be very interested to chart those performances. Uh, but yes, I am also interested in the mystery. I mean, we open with a flashback to 30 years earlier, which is totally off format for Justified. I don't think we've ever had a flashback before. Uh, particularly one three decades earlier. So uh, that was interesting. And the uh, the visual of a man smashed to the ground surrounded by, with a broken parachute, we assume, uh, surrounded by bricks of cocaine was uh, quite startling. And yeah, I, I liked almost everything about this episode, really. I, I, I have no real qualms. It wasn't, I don't think it was an all-timer, but in terms of setting the scene and having lots and lots and lots of great laughs while doing it, I thought it was pretty damn good. Yeah, there's a lot of really great uh, dialogue this week. It's obviously something that we enjoy about the show. It's one of the more quotable, at least uh, each week. It it's always has some of the highlights for me, uh, Justified does. Yeah, I thought it was also a really strong way to, to start the season, start the episode. And, uh, you know, it's a very, very startling image that I'm sure we will re- remember or will stay fresh in our mind throughout the course of the season. We have had flashbacks before. We had um, at least one that came immediately to mind, and that's in Noble's Holler when last season we got flashbacks of a drunken Arlo coming to get the, to get right, the wife right. and in- interacting with Elston. But uh, but no, I, and that, that actually connects here for me because I, I have a feeling that this is going to connect in with the mother and not with Arlo. I don't see Arlo 
killing somebody in prison to protect himself. And uh, given the, the, that there were more than a few mentions of Helen this week, I imagine that it's going to be either something about her family or, you know, the, the wife, the, the mother's family. So um, we'll, we'll see where it's going. But I definitely think it's interesting. And I think there's plenty there to, to make, this, make this work. As for the other characters that are introduced, uh, I very much enjoyed Patton Oswalt. I, I enjoyed his character more once I figured out who he was supposed to be because <laughs> in the first couple scenes that you're watching, you're like, is this character supposed to be taken seriously? And it's just, they cast Patton Oswalt. So I'm not, or is this character not supposed to be taken seriously? And so that's why Patton Oswalt is bringing that element of his persona, perhaps, or his, you know, his onstage you know, personality to that character, you know, like, the, you know, is, am I supposed to be thinking this guy is kind of a joke or, or not? And so, once you get, you know, get a sense of the character over the course of the episode, then I was, you know, had retroactively appreciated his earlier scenes even more. And just something, you know, when he stabs the, the girl in the foot, like, I like that they take the time to show him look at both feet and make a judgment call and know what the right thing is to do. Because I think, you know, the, when you first see that shot, you think, oh, it's because... He's going to, you know, he needs to make sure that he stabs the right foot. And that is exactly what it is. Only the right foot, as we see, you know, in, in their actions, in their body language of how that plays out, is the, you know, is not the one you might immediately think was the right foot, if that right. sort of awkward sentence makes any sense. Um, but the, the other thing I wanted to mention when it comes to these, uh, these, char- these new characters, I think for the most part, yes, they are all very strong and interesting. And I look forward to getting... Uh, more with Boyd and this this preacher. I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm very much looking forward to that. What was up with the Dr. Pepper scene? Because you know, I, I was very I, I'm confused. not really sure. I feel like that was a that was a pop culture reference, quite literally. That I that just went over my head. I, I don't really know. See, but I don't like. What do you mean? Like, there's another drink that's called the Dr. Pepper besides the Dr. Or, Pepper, I, or maybe, or like, there's an old Dr. Pepper tagline or something because they were maybe he was saying something about yo, I could always use a Dr. Pepper. I don't know. Or that, like that, that, that. Yeah, is it ten four two or something? Like I don't, you know, I don't know. Cause just the fact that they said Dr. Pepper like five times over the course of that brief interaction, I was like, I was confused if it was supposed to be a product placement. Uh, but then we didn't see him actually holding the can or drinking the can or anything. I was very confused by that. I kept waiting for it to be, like, her to go pour Dr. Pepper into a can and then, like, throw some rum in there. Like, that it was a specific, like, a, a boy Dr. Pepper isn't, you know, or actual just a soda. I don't know. I was confused with that. Also, the, the Netflix reference at the beginning felt a little awkward to me. Was that just me? Uh, no, that that didn't that didn't bother me. Uh, but but there were lots of uh, bits of great dialogue that I actually not only were they quotable but I actually gave someone I actually gave someone the if if you uh, if you see an asshole in the morning you run into an asshole you run into assholes all day you're the asshole I actually gave someone that reproach at work nice. earlier this week uh, so justified you were useful in my life so thank you um, I don't know if I, I I'm assuming that that was a maxim that existed before the show but I'd never heard it before and it's very useful. Yeah, it was pretty great. And again, in that you know similar scene, we have him when he first confronts the the the, the perp. The just again going back to the season uh, season three premiere and the the elegant solution. Again, he comes up with the elegant solution, shooting the air the airbag and getting it to deploy. Yes. Uh, yeah, that wasn't quite as good as the thing with the tablecloth, but it was pretty badass. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, 
And uh, yeah, and I liked all the stuff we, we got with Ava as well. I'm I'm wondering. How, apparently, we we shouldn't expect very much Winona this season because mm-hmm. she's busy on another show. But uh, but I did like what we got with with Ava, and I, I mean, clearly they're committed to Ava and Boyd as a unit. And uh, and I feel like now that now that we're at that stage, I feel like watching them just sort of work together is interesting. And I and I loved her scenes with Ellen May as well, uh, who is. Uh, I feel like she's the prostitute equivalent of um, of Jeremy Davies' character in that she, she's just always going to be around no matter what happens, even if she's attacked by a bear. Yeah, I, I've enjoyed her as a through line over you know the past several seasons, and I, I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of her as you know she goes to this church you know, and gets tied in there, and that's what's going to bring... You know more more of the the conflict between Boyd and and Ava and and this preacher or whatever the name of that uh, that that preacher Billy called. preacher Billy there we go um, yes so I did enjoy that scene very much I I would agree I don't I still think I still feel like Ava from season one is a sort of a different care is a different character not even sort of is a different character than the Ava we got in season by season three like the character over season two just became was unrecognizable from season one you know like season one and season three different like i feel like they same actress different role but i really enjoy this ava and so we're obviously right at the point that this is who the character is and that's you know she fits in she works and i'm glad that now that she is this character like i'm glad they didn't try to keep her connected to raylan while being this character like she's just totally in boy's world raylan doesn't think about her or talk to her as far as we know Mm -hmm. and they're just totally in different circles and that that if they're going to do that then that's fine by me um and uh, we do get a little bit more with the waitress whose name i it currently escapes me or bartender who i I, i'm it, it was nice to see that they're still an item and apparently still functioning um we also got one scene with Rachel, I think, and nothing mm. with Tim. And I feel like every year we get the same spiel from uh, Grammy Host about, oh, yeah, we're really going to make an effort to try to use But I'm just going to assume this season that it's not going to happen. Apparently it doesn't happen in the first four episodes or so, or however many that uh, people who are you know, reviewing. I, I think the more important people only got two episodes, I think, but... Uh, yeah, I, I have no reason to expect that anything's going to change with that. And it is slightly annoying, but I mean, honestly, it's very far from a deal breaker. Yeah, at this point, I mean, I, and maybe this will change if and when they finally do actually give us something interesting about these characters. But uh, but at this point, I, I'm fine with them underserving those characters be, you know, if that means that we're going to get to spend more time with Boyd and, and the far more you know interesting ones. Right. I would rather... I mean, it- it, it, it would be interesting if, if if Tim or Rachel were actually embroiled in one of the show's actual plots. Mm-hmm. Like I would be interested to see what happens with that. Um, but it seems like that they're they're very hesitant to take that step because Raylan is so different from them and his world is so different from theirs. So it would be tricky to do. Also notable that we don't get any art this week, although apparently we can expect him soon. Yes, apparently he should be uh, prominent. And also Tim. Uh, next week as well they'll both will be popping up then but uh yeah i would rather have rachel underserved than arlo underserved and when when you know these when, when raylan when the show was so much more about raylan and his connections in his family and harlan you know the, the that in this particular town not even just the not even the whole district or region and definitely not the state then it it makes sense for for tim and uh, rachel to not 
be in the show that much because they don't have that specific tie to that location. And uh, unless that changes, it would feel, I mean, they already have to come up with excuses to get Raylan back home, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, Rachel and Tim. But I I, I did think it was a good move to have Raylan do non-martial business this week. uh, Mm -hmm. Just basically, because from what I understand, bounty hunters aren't legal in Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, So he was sort of doing basically doing completely illegal proxy bounty hunter work, um, which was interesting. And I, I love just the, I, I like the, the I, I like that Raylan in panic mode is just barely panic. Like when he realizes that he has a guy in his trunk and the car is about to be cubed. Yeah. Um, like, it, like Raylan in panic mode, isn't quite anyone else in panic mode. And I, but, but it was, it was nice to that little perceptible change in, uh, in all sense performance. Yeah. And uh, yes, and yeah, lots of I mean, great square offs, great dialogue, uh, great flourishes of action and violence. I mean, I don't really need anything else from the episode justified, especially if for a first episode where the entry is just getting started. Yeah, so we'll see what happens as the season continues. I'm looking forward to to more reveals about this. Uh, Thirty years ago, whatever the flashback. Do you think we're going to get more flashbacks, or do you think it's all going to be point? Uh, you know, our perspective at this point, or, or Raylan's perspective. I, I, I would be perfectly happy with that being the only flashback, um, and just 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 enough to for us to know, just for us just enough for us to know that what we get from what what emerges from Raylan's house is connected to this older event. It, it, I mean, it, it's enough for us to be a little bit ahead of the marshals and to know what they have to start piecing together. And I think that's an interesting position that we haven't really been placed in before. I don't think they really need to do much more than that. Yeah. I would agree. Absolutely. So the next episode, we'll, like I said, we'll get more art. We'll get more Tim. And uh, we'll see if it ends up back here in the spotlight next week. I would not right. be surprised, <laughs> given Justified. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be tough to, but, to unseat it for a little while. We'll see what happens. Of course, thank you, everyone, for listening. We, uh, Like we said at the top of the show, we do not have a third segment this week. So it's a little shorter than it has been in the past you know, few weeks, that is, at least. Our Intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. Of course, we all have a post up at soundonsite.org where you can leave a comment. Let us know what you thought about all, all this television this week and uh, what, what uh, you think might be coming for us this season on Justified. What should our question be? Uh, well, since it's Western Month on the site, I'm, I, I guess I'd like to know if, if there are any non-Deadwood TV Westerns that people enjoy. Non-Firefly. <laughs> not Deadwood and not Firefly. Have fun with that, kids. <laughs> Like there are several that pop to mind immediately for me, but then again, I've been a, a glutton for that genre for a while. I'm curious what you know other people what what other people first immediately think of. So let us know. Let us know what your favorite uh, TV westerns are. We uh, of course are as we said earlier are on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are again. I'm at Sucker Howell. You can email us theteleverse at gmail dot com, and of course, we would love if you would leave us a rating in iTunes. Uh, we have an M four A feed as well as a MP three feed. Those have those will look a little different than they did a couple weeks ago, but they are both functioning. I'm so excited about that. Everything's all good at this point yeah. in iTunes. Um, so feel free to dive back in there if you were a little anxious about using it. We're all good at this point. And uh, th- as ever, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.